0: Hey guys, David Reeves here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast today. Hope you enjoy. And remember, you can catch a new episode every Wednesday at noon central on all your streaming devices. Most of these podcasts have visuals, so if you want to see the entire video, check them out at creationsuperstore.com. They're available on DVD or digital download. All right, let's get to it. Hello, I'm David Reeves, host of Wonders Without Number. In each episode, we talk about breaking discoveries in science, which reveal that our Creator, the God of the Bible, has left a pattern of His fingerprints throughout the universe. Check out our other resources at davidreeves.com, sign up for email updates to have encouraging nuggets sent straight to your inbox, subscribe to our free monthly magazine, and like us on Facebook for daily inspiration and education regarding science and the Bible an event that took place on May 18th of 1980, taught us many lessons about catastrophism and also about what may have happened during the global flood of Noah's day. Joining me for this conversation, I brought in a guest and friend, Paul Taylor. Let's find out more right now on Wonders Without Number. Welcome to Wonders Without Number. I'm David Reeves, and today we want to inform and inspire you regarding the wonders that we find all around us. An infinite number of wonders that point us directly to our Creator, the God of the Bible. You know, God's fingerprint can be found everywhere, from the farthest galaxy in the cosmos to the microscopic world of genetics and DNA. And ultimately, all scientific fields are drawing us closer to an understanding that the Bible is true from beginning to end you are no accident. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're giving you the tools that you need to defend your Christian faith and we're going to kick it off right now with today's Heavens Declare looking at bats and dolphins and echolocation. Bats, love to come out at night, and you can many times barely see them during aerobatics in the dark, flying one way and then they change direction suddenly. We've all learned how bats can fly through the dark, avoiding obstacles and catching prey with high-pitched sound. But it's amazing to realize that this works so effectively, and it's true. These creatures thrive hunting at night and roosting in caves. You see, the way it works is the bat closes its ears while it makes its ultrasonic call, and then instantly, it opens its ears to listen for the echo, all within milliseconds. Anything, even a small bug that is close, will it bounces a bit of the sound back, allowing the bat to follow the shape of its environment and then catch its flying supper. They can both tell which way a bug is flying and pinpoint an object's location to the width of a human hair They're a marvel of amazing design. Now there's another set of creatures that use this same system, but not to help them fly. I'm talking about toothed whales like orcas and dolphins. In a remarkably similar way, they produce and listen to sounds that allow them to find fish and avoid obstacles, even in murky water or darkness. Since they don't use their mouths to breathe, A dolphin's blowhole system makes the sound that they listen for, producing the clicks and whistles that we all love to hear. Specialized versions of these sounds focused through the skull allow them to hear a fish in front of them, and by slightly swaying their heads, they get a sense of the fish's size and direction. So the end result is an image similar in detail to the ultrasound pictures that new parents see of a baby growing in the womb. For those of us who believe the Bible and accept that the same designer is responsible for this complex ability in both creatures, well, the only thing left to do is to worship him for his genius and seek to better understand how these echolocators work. But for the evolutionist, the puzzle is just beginning. No one believes that bats and dolphins share a close common ancestor who could have used echolocation. So how could such vastly different creatures develop nearly identical systems and brain functions? Well, first they have to explain away how complex the system really is and reduce it to a simple set of DNA mutations on basic hearing system that all mammals share. Then they have to claim that this is so easily done that it happened independently, and it just happened to affect two types of creatures that could actually use this ability. It sounds an awful lot like wishful thinking to me. I'm David Reeves. Truly, the heavens declare the glory of God. Our testimonial today comes from Michelle who writes, I was really overwhelmed with all of the biblical archeology span findings out there today and trying to understand it on my own through volumes of library research. But DRM helps me to close the gap with thorough overviews on topics about the Bible and scientific evidence. Thank you, Michelle. You know, when we bring on experts to talk about different topics relating to creation, science, our origins, where we come from, the whole idea is to point back to the scripture and the validity of the Bible from the very first verse all the way to the very last. You can trust it from beginning to end. So we appreciate those comments. Send in your comments on Facebook, uh, on social media, and, uh, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel for weekly new videos. Now let's meet my guest. Paul is director of Strong Tower Ministries. Originally from the UK, Paul does an excellent job at analyzing Darwin's life and legacy. He's also the author of the book, Where Birds Eat Horses. And he's led hundreds of tours to Mount St. Helens, studying the impact and the environmental regrowth that took place after its eruption in 1980. Thank you for joining me, Paul. Thank you for having me again. Absolutely. You know, Mount St. Helens, and I teased this in the beginning, is very influential in allowing us to understand in modern times how much one volcano, one event can change the landscape, isn't it?
1: It is, and it's such an important event are a lot of other places that we can go to that help us to understand what must have happened at the time of the flood and um, there are some very spectacular geological formations you know you think of the grand canyon for yeah. example you think of uh, things like um the the badlands in uh, eastern washington uh, places around the world different <laughs> things what makes mount saint Helens so unique and mm-hmm. so very important is that there are still people around alive who saw it happen at the time. You know, and even when the generation goes, uh, the Lord terrors and they've gone, uh, the films will still be there. Mount St. Helens' eruption was not that big, really, by the standards of many volcanic eruptions. But the key is that it happened in the world's most industrialized country with the news media uh, right on their doorstep, very very close, just uh, two hours travel away from uh, Seattle, one of the world's major cities. You can imagine TV cameras getting to the place very quickly. Uh, It was an, an important media event. The technology was there, and it's that that makes it so important. These things can't be denied. We're not simply trying to interpret the landscape by our model as opposed to an evolutionary model. We're talking about things for which we've got film, photograph, and eyewitness evidence.
0: Okay, so there's a lot of debate going on. Like this term, some people don't. Talk about historical evidence versus observable evidence. Isn't that what yeah. you're really That's talking right. about right now?
1: That's right. And you know, um Uh, If I go to somewhere like the the Dry Falls in eastern Washington, I'm convinced by the interpretations. I don't have a problem with that, you know, to say, obviously that was clearly a huge waterfall at one time, an outfall from the Missoula flood. Uh, I can't see, you know, it's undeniable to me, but there is this extra step, which is so interesting that at Mount St. Helens, People were there, and you know, I, I spent several years uh, taking people on uh, excursions around there. and it, It's always fun when people get to face to face with the immediacy of it. Yeah. I remember, you know, taking uh, people uh, one group to see this house that had been damaged, destroyed, uh, partly destroyed by mud flows, and pointing out a fridge that had been taken away from the house by a mud flow. <laughs> oh. I looked at that, and uh, the, the, you know, there was a certain number of youngsters in the party around mm-hmm. about the age of 12 or 13. Um, Uh, And one of them says, well, did they really have fridges in 1980? And the answer is, yes, they did, by the way. (laughs) We did have fridges in 1980 and even earlier. Um, But this brings you face to face with the fact that this was a, uh, I know there was some technology change. We didn't have Facebook then. We didn't have smartphones and so on. But this was a technologically advanced society where this happened. It didn't happen in a corner. So Uh it may not be the biggest and most spectacular thing you'll see on the surface of the world, mm-hmm. but in many ways, it's that thing that anchors us into absolute fact that it's undeniable.
0: Interesting, and that's great for science yes. because that means that we can study that. Now, I've actually had people on the program who uh, were there when it happened, yes. they saw it. Eyewitnesses yes. saw the ash coming down like snow on their houses. Yes. Uh, they were in helicopters soon after, and that's the other great thing, is that even aerial views of the eruption uh, were captured in some some right. instances. Yes. Okay. Now you said that Mount St. Helens was not um, anywhere near the largest volcanic eruption in history, yes. but it was observed by many people. Now, why was Mount St. Helens peculiar in the direction of the eruption?
1: Right. Uh, that's that's a very important point. Um, we do expect that volcanoes are going to go upwards. Right. Okay, yeah. and a lot of people do have misunderstandings about about volcanoes. The two facts that almost everyone thinks they know about volcanoes are that they're cone-shaped mountains, and that they spew out lots, of, lots lava of lava that flows all over the place. Actually, those two things are mutually exclusive, generally speaking. Okay. So the, co- uh, the, the volcanoes that spew out lots of lava are not cone-shaped, they're shield-shaped, mm-hmm. like the ones in Hawaii, mm-hmm. where you've got the molten lava coming out, quite often a large amount of the time. Not terribly spectacular, quite often, apart from the fact it's glowing. Mm -hmm. Um, But still dangerous, obviously. Uh, The cone-shaped ones are there because uh, the shield ones were at a place where there's new crust being made. The cone-shaped ones are at a place where crust is being destroyed, where there's one plate being subducted under the other and uh, that, that friction is, uh, is causing um, moisture to come to the surface as well as some molten rock. But it, it's going to be a lot thicker and heavier than the lava in the shield volcanoes. So although the lava can flow sometimes under certain circumstances, it doesn't usually. What you usually get is a steam eruption. Okay. Um, a bit like if you left a pressure cooker on and eventually it's gonna blow and it's gonna blow the weights off the top and the, yeah. you're gonna get this sort of eruption of steam coming from the spout if you're being dangerous with it but supposing it was a faulty pressure cooker supposing that valve had got stuck Okay. then the steam is not going to be able to get out through there. And you can imagine how even more dangerous that would be. Eventually, there's going to be a weak spot, maybe on the side mm-hmm. of the pressure mm-hmm. cooker, and it's going to blow sideways, very dangerous. That's what happened at Mount St. Helens. It couldn't blow out the top, so that you couldn't get the steam eruption upwards, as you would expect. in pressure it blew. had to release Yes, somehow. right, so it blew out the side, oh. presumably through a side fissure. Okay. So you got what's called a lateral blast. The blast went along the ground instead of upwards and that's what caused so much local destruction hmm. it sort of fanned out and um, to the north of the volcano and you had a lot of old growth forest there and uh trees were in fact in one valley where it managed to get up the valley uh, it knocked down trees 17 miles away most of the area it was 14 miles away from the volcano yeah. from sort of northwest to northeast uh yeah. forest flattened 230 square miles of uh, forest destroyed it's a huge thing And uh, that's what made it very special. You know, there's this ridge five miles north of the volcano. Okay. They knew that the volcano was going to erupt. uh, they, they, they knew that there were rumblings there. And so there was a team of geologists in the area. So uh, on this ridge, five miles north of the volcano, they had a, uh, w- uh, a team of geologists who put a trailer there and they were taking it in turns to stay overnight in this trailer okay. so there would be someone on the spot because although it was close, they were safe, they thought, because volcanoes go upwards. Right. 5 miles That's away right. surely. So yes. the evening of um, of May the 17th 1980 mm-hmm. Saturday May the 17th the geologist on duty overnight is called Dr David Johnston. Okay. The volcano blew laterally. Mm. Uh, it hit the ridge. David Johnson was killed immediately. Mm. His body has never been found. Presumably, it would have been incinerated. Quite whether he died from incineration, being buried by the landslide, yeah. being pummeled by stones in the blast, or the heat of the blast, we don't know. But his body's just not been found. So, so he he went, and he was actually recording at the time. He was saying, you know, his radio and said, so Vancouver, Vancouver, this is it, and. Then um, after mm. a brief message to his family, the, the uh, recording goes off. So that's uh, that's what was very special about the. Uh, it's this lateral blast that made it very different from other eruptions. Okay,
0: it not only caused uh, tons of devastation. You said up to 14 miles yes. uh, or or more in some yes. circumstances.
1: It flattened the forest. Yes. Like toothpicks. Like toothpicks, So it just uh, as if there was some sort of atomic bomb gone off, you know, the, the trees scattered. And in fact, there are some places where you can still see, in some of the outlying areas where they haven't been able to pick them up, you can still see flattened trees pointing away from the volcano. But at the time, it looked like the game of pick up sticks. Yeah. Um, you know, you drop the sticks, they fan out. That's what, that's what happened. Actually, damage went even further than that. That was the damage caused by the blast there was other damage caused by mud flows going down the rivers, destroying houses. Uh, there's even film of um, houses being carried away on rivers of mud and then hitting bridges that um, sort of shattering mm. into pieces. This was, so that damage was going up to 50 miles away. Okay. Um, but the damage from the blast was up to 14 miles.
0: Hi, I'm David Reeves, host of Wonders Without Number. Like what you're seeing? You can find so much more on the Creation Superstore. You'll find over a thousand books, DVDs, and other quality resources on origin science, creation, and Bible history. Whether you're looking for nature documentaries, educational books, homeschool resources, or children's videos, we've got it all. So be sure to head over and check it out. Use this special promo code to receive 10% off your first order. Okay, now talk about the mudflows, but also talk about Spirit Lake and what happened to
1: that lake. Absolutely. There is a lake to the northeast of the volcano called Spirit Lake. Mm. And uh, so what happened was, remember you've got this blast and this landslide. First of all, you've got the landslide. Mm -hmm. That was moving about 150 miles per hour. That released the pressure, so you've got the blast. The blast is going at 350 miles per hour, so it quickly overtook the landslide. So the blast knocked down the trees. The landslide carried on moving, though, so you got some of the landslide going into Spirit Lake, pushing all the water out of Spirit Lake yeah. 800 feet up the hillside opposite. But on that hillside, all the trees had already been knocked down.
0: Okay. So the
1: water, this huge wave, yeah. with all the water Spirit Lake, picks up all these trees yeah. and washes back down again 500 feet. Into the lake. But not... Well, all the water from the lake had gone out. Then all the water went back again. But it's only gone down 500 feet because the landslide has filled in where the lake was. So the new lake, the present lake, is geographically on the map in the same place as the old Spirit Lake. But but actually 300 feet higher. 300? There were hotels campsites lodges and around the bank of spirit lake they've never been replaced uh, the place is completely remote today and quite difficult to get to um, but yeah uh, those those buildings including one man who had refused to evacuate uh, um, a man called harry r truman not uh, the former president a different harry truman yeah. his body it's not at the bottom of the lake, it's 300 feet below the bottom of the lake. We have wow. to assume because nobody's ever dug down to find it. But that's uh, that's the way that they, the lake lies today. <laughs> there are
0: still hotels and, and obviously the body of one um, person. We have
1: no idea, because no one's dug down there, how yeah. much they were destroyed. But as I said, they must be not at the bottom of the water, Right. but down 300 feet below that. Hundreds of feet. OK, uh, you
0: and I, during a filming session that we were doing, Actually walked through um, past the hummocks yes. and other areas. Tell me about that.
1: Well, the hummocks are fascinating because the landslide as it was moving so fast behaves like a fluid. As if you sort of tipped a bag of flour down a slope, um, uh-huh. you know that it would move a little bit like water, but not entirely like mm-hmm. water. It would stop in lumps. The hummocks are those lumps. Okay. So it was an area of complete destruction. Gray lumps there and uh, now, of course, overgrown but that's the, those little hills are the result of the lateral blast. What's interesting is that those sorts of hummock foundations can be seen at near other volcanoes elsewhere in the world. Wow. One of the interesting ones is Mount Shasta in Northern California, so we know that Mount Shasta must have erupted at some point in the past with a lateral blast forming giving the same formation.
0: Isn't that interesting? Yes. Okay, so there are scientific things that you can actually learn and then suggest from what we've seen at Mount St. Helens, That's right. But I would say that especially for, you know, Bible believers, there was something that happened about two years later. Yes. 1982. Yes. uh, A secondary smaller eruption with a a mud flow that caused a uh, uh, somewhat of a legend for creationists. What was that?
1: Yes. There there had been a glacier starting to grow in the crater of the volcano and the damaged crater of the volcano and uh, a small eruption uh, in, in, on March the 19th, 1982 melted that. So you've got a boiling hot water coming out of the crater, picking up mud. you got a rapid hot mud flow going through the area where the landslide had landed. Now, the landslide is about mm-hmm. 600 feet thick at that point in the valley. Yeah. And so this uh, mud flow carved through it. That had the advantage that we could see what was underneath. Okay. It carved a canyon, and the canyon looks very like the Grand Canyon. It's got the same sort of shape, but it's like a 140th scale. It's pretty big, so it's 200 feet high in in many places. Well, this formed not in millions of years, but in nine hours. (laughs) And not only that, but the canyon itself revealed the material underneath from the landslide, which had settled in layers. Uh, Layers of sediment 25 feet thick at least 200 sedimentary layers, and that those formed in three hours. In 1980? In 1980, that formed uh, on the June the 12th eruption, the second eruption in wow. 1980, and then revealed by the 1982 eruption, which also coincidentally caused a canyon. So you've got all these things that are so similar to many geological features, but they formed at Mount St. Helens in hours, not in millions or or even thousands of years.
0: So let's talk about the implications biblically. Let's talk about geology. What do we see when we look at geology? We see a lot Mm. of sedimentary water lane layers stacked up like pancakes.
1: Well, it has to change our views as what happened. Because I've mentioned the hummocks thing, Previously, the hummocks were known at Mount Shasta, so they they had uh, quite understandably thought that this was due to glacial activity. Then they had to change their views. What they really ought to do now is change their views of the speed of sedimentary rock formation, Uh and they ought to change their views of uh, the production of a canyon like the Grand Canyon. You see, at the same scale, the Grand Canyon could have been formed in something like about 15 days if if there had been a large rush of water going through uh, instead of uh, talking about millions of years of formation. So it has strong implications. We can see that so many things could have easily formed catastrophically by looking at the laboratory model, if you like, that we've got at Mount St. Helens.
0: It's very interesting. And and not only the Grand Canyon itself could have formed very quickly, you said maybe 15 days, But the geological layers, That's the right, sedimentary the mud layers, we're talking about a mile thick yes. of all of these layers that were assumed to take millions upon millions of years to form. Yes. And yet, at Mount St. Helens, yes. we've seen that mud and ash can catastrophically form layers very, very quickly.
1: That's right. These things need to be applied Okay. And you know, uh, if we if we look into God's word, you know, the, the obvious question is what happened in the past catastrophically that can explain these features around the world, and it's clearly the fact that there was a worldwide global flood. Okay, that's the reason why we believe, of course, that the flood happened because we've got the recorded word there. Absolutely. But what we're now seeing as well is that uh, there is plenty of scientific evidence from Mount St Helens and therefore by implication from other places that is completely consistent with that belief from, taken from scripture. Con- Consistent
0: with it. I like the way you put that. Okay, finally, what we see is that it is perfectly logically consistent that if the fountains of the Great Deep broke open at the time of the flood, that tremendous amounts of mud, sand, silt, and sediments would have washed across the continents in tsunami like waves, that there yes. would have been volcanic activity, that there would have been uh, a tectonic movement and shaking going on, and it would have theoretically, but it's consistent with the evidence that we see so far, have formed the geological record that we see today.
1: Absolutely right, yes, and many of your guests are far more erudite on the geology. I'm not a geologist, I'm a popularizer of these things, but uh, many of your previous guests have gone through exactly how many of these uh, formations could have formed in the, in the time scale we're talking about in the flood. Super interesting. Thank you, Paul, for joining us today. Thank you. You know,
0: Matthew chapter 16 records the words of our Savior as He warned His disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees. He was not talking about leaven used in the making of bread, but rather about false doctrine, the leaven of those considered to be teachers. There were those who were teaching things that disagreed with the words of Scripture, and because of their positions of authority, people were accepting those things. You know, today, the very same things going on. Many teachers in positions of authority While presenting some things that are true, they sneak in this pinch of evolutionary leaven, including in the geological record. A little bit of false science, so we've got to beware. The first step is to educate ourselves on the tricks that many atheists are using. And every week, we bring you the facts that you need and the faith-building principles that will prepare you to defend your faith in Christ. I'm David Reeves, and I want to remind you to keep looking up, because truly, the heavens declare the glory of God. Hello, I'm David Reeves, host of the TV show Creation in the 21st Century on TBN and the Heavens Declare video series. Each week we talk about breaking discoveries in science, which reveal that our Creator, the God of the Bible, has left a pattern of His fingerprints throughout the universe. Engage with other like-minded believers through the Creation Club. This website offers thousands of articles written by scores of authors in multiple languages. Sign up to get our free monthly magazine delivered to your door. Want more? Genesis Science Network is our free 24-7 TV network, reaching millions of people around the world on internet, Roku, Fire TV, and mobile devices. Shop over a thousand books and videos on the Creation Superstore, the world's largest origins-related store. Visit our Wonders of Creation Center and sign up for email updates to have encouraging articles sent straight to your inbox. Like us on Facebook for daily inspiration and education regarding science and the Bible.